What's up, everybody? Welcome to the View from Jamestown podcast edition. This is episode 89, and this morning we have our very special, now recurring guest, Kathy Hall, here with us in person, which is always a, a, a nice treat. Kathy, welcome. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's great to be here, and the weather is fantastic. Um, I drove up from New Jersey, where the weather is also pretty good, but just coming across that bridge to Jamestown, I'm like, mm. yeah. That was great. So it's, it's wonderful to be here. Thanks for asking. Yeah, it's amazing how many more people want to come visit us once it's, uh, you know, April, May. I was like, oh, yeah, I should, you know, I I'd to come down. And, July. Yeah. It's going to be a legendary <laughs> visit. Um, no, but it's great to have you in person. I always love having people here at the podcast studios in Jamestown. It's uh, nice to use the space and, and uh, great to have you in person. I think just to kick things off, you know, maybe if people haven't caught the past ones, I think this is our now either third or fourth sort of quarterly episode. So it's been great having you on frequently. Um, but if anyone hasn't caught some of the past ones, maybe you want to just introduce yourself briefly. Sure. My name's Kathy All, and I am the executive director of Petrochemical Products for Opus. And my, uh, my division is mostly the Petrochem Wire brands. Petrochem Wire was a company that I founded in 2007 that became a part of Opus in 2018. Opus itself is uh, owned by Dow Jones, so Petrochem Wire by Opus, a Dow Jones company, is where I'm at. It's a mouthful. Yes, but uh, <laughs> on a personal level, I've been watching chemical markets as a journalist uh, and an observer since the mid 90s so you know i've seen a lot of things and depending on how good my memory is i can say oh remember when crude was 11 dollars?" because i do yeah. but um you know so that's that's nice i was thinking about this too about the human component versus ai so that you know sometimes it's nice to have that assistance like with gps or something you know but yep. it's uh yeah, the human element can can sometimes make a difference in perspective. Yeah, it's been one of my favorite things about, you know, the chemical industry as a whole. It's a very personable industry. You know, technology has obviously evolved with systems and portals and all kinds of good stuff to maybe help facilitate orders and improve communication. But at the end of the day, it's it's who you like doing business with. And it's a, it's a very personable industry. It's an yeah. industry that still relies on trade shows and events and traveling to meet customers. I love that yes. part of it. Yeah. And thank goodness that, you know, travel is, is back yeah. and conferences are back. I think the recent AFPM felt a, a lot more normal than even last year's AFPM because it, we really did have the global element there this year and that it just gives it that good feeling. Yeah, I was going to say, speaking of obviously travel and, and conferences, we were just at the uh, AFPM down in San Antonio a couple of weeks ago now. One of my favorite events and, and places to travel to. It's a, always a great week, a busy week, a, uh, a lot to wrap your head around with meetings and events and dinners and all that good stuff. But you get a lot done in a short period of time and such a cool city. I, I love San Antonio. Um, so I was certainly going to ask you, obviously, I know we, we saw you down there both at our cocktail party and... Mm -hmm. uh, and in, in some other meetings and running, running into you. Um, what was the general kind of overview and, and mood from a lot of the meetings you were having with, with colleagues down there? Well, what I love most about conferences like AFPM is there is, of course, a performative part of let's sit down, my team and your team, and talk about this. But there's also, there's such a, a an, an easy social component that it's in the hallways or at the cocktail party that you can really talk to someone, especially when you're in the business I'm in, I'm not at a cocktail party to write a news story about, you know, what, what Ben said at the chemical company cocktail, that would be a little awkward, but I could really have conversations with people that otherwise might say, oh, demand is good, where I'm like, how's it going? They're like, better, but I'm not going to really 
use the G word yet, right. you know, right. and you get a, you just get more of a truer sense of how it's going for, you know, for the different market segments and what, you know, who really took the most pain. I mean, coming into AFPM this year for anybody along the propylene chain, they were still reeling from the shock of the U.S. price spike in the spot market that had only occurred a few weeks before. Yep. And that was, you know, that was fresh on everyone's mind. And how did it really affect as many people as you thought, or were some people just watching it saying, thank goodness my contracts are structured differently, yep. whatever that could be. But I always find the most interesting comments are about demand. And that's something that I think is, is really obviously one of the major drivers throughout the world, but it, it's been less of a driver really in the past six to eight months. And I think when, um, when we spoke in the fourth quarter, it was, you know, it, it wasn't even cautiously optimistic. It was just cautious, yep. you know. Yeah. So it was a hope that this is the end of the year destocking, you know. And But uh, and I, I do think that that's largely come to be the case as we've gotten into this new year. The first few months, a lot of the derivative operating rates are certainly higher than they were. So there is a demand rebound. Whether it's strong, you know, it's uh, that's that's up for debate. But I think that the demand component is stronger. I think what I might have said the last time we spoke was that demand is nothing you could rely on to carry the price. And now I think that demand has a stronger role in being able to set some sort of floor for a lot of markets. Sure, that makes sense. Yeah, it was, it was interesting by the you know fourth or fifth or seventh meeting we had at AFPM. You, you kind of hear the same thing in different words from a lot of people. You know, I think the general mood was you know everyone's down fifteen, twenty, thirty percent, and and oddly enough, people were still optimistic. You know, you could have these meetings when everything's down twenty percent, people could be all pessimistic and grumpy about it, but a lot of meetings, people were relatively upbeat. I mean, mm -hmm. that stuff was slow. There's, I think, optimism for the later half of the year. People are trying to have a positive outlook and certain industries may be doing a little bit better than others, but, um, you know, it seemed that that was kind of the mood that we heard over and over and over again and different words from different people, but, um, you know, you really start to see a trend pretty early on at a place like the AFPM with having so many conversations at once. Yeah, and I think also, again, conferences have been back for a while, but I think that global conferences are really the ones that are kicking into full gear this year, yeah. where, you know, sure, I went to the AFPM the previous year, but there weren't a lot of people outside of this continent there. But, um, but yeah, that sense that that I get at conferences is really, it's still the pandemic and the lockdowns and, and all of what has gone on from late 2019, it's it's not like the pandemic itself. It's debatable depending on who you talk to. Is it over yet or is it just weaker or something? But we all have a sense that we've gotten through something. And I think maybe that's, I agree with you, that people have said over and over at these conferences, well, you know, demand's not terrific, but I'm feeling okay because, man, they sure saw worse. Yeah. You yep. know, they saw demand be what it is now or worse, and your prices, your your costs were out of control. And even if you could make any sort of a profit on certain products, shipping them anywhere was another nightmare. So yep. I feel as though, you know, there's um there's maybe a um kind of tacit sense of gratitude that things aren't 
wild. Sure. Like they had been. Yeah, absolutely. And a big part of it too is I think in, in planning and thinking what normal looks like, you, you obviously, if you compare your system today versus year to date last year, obviously it's a big difference, but should you be comparing stuff to 2018, 2019 time levels, like figuring out kind of what that normal actually looks like because stuff's been so crazy, especially in our industry the last two, three years. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, certainly I think, uh, you know, for us at, at Opus and also for our uh, our consultants at Opus, the Chemical Market Analytics Group, that 2019, I think, is is a very reasonable baseline for demand, mm-hmm. right? And that would be for jet fuel, anything, you know, sure. that, um, but when you're, when you're, looking at where you've been as a business, your business or a major, things have definitely changed. And there was certainly a time probably from the second half of 2020 through the middle of 2021, or maybe even through the end of 2021, where so many surprising things happened that not exposed per se, but maybe highlighted what risks you didn't even realize you were taking, you know, Uh, you and I were talking a little bit earlier this morning about logistics and transportation logistics, that if you found yourself in a transportation situation, it was time to look at, well, what, what was our commitment? Did, why did we no longer own rail cars? Why were we only, leasing so many and maybe that's changed now so i think that there's a there's a different sensibility around um around the word risk itself that maybe three or four years ago people in the market that would say we don't manage risk and now realizing well risk is actually more than playing the futures market sure that managing risk is really looking at your assets and and all of those things that you you might not have considered to be risky positions until they prove to be risky positions. Yeah, the logistics thing is interesting. Like we met with suppliers in Europe, and you know they have contracted a number of ISOs they can ship over quarterly or whatnot. And you know today those rates are still a bit high. You know I think ISO rates and, and container rates are coming off, but you know they may be on a fixed quarterly tender or whatnot. And we asked them about it, like, hey, you know your guys' logistics costs are too high, and they're like. Yeah, we know, and they're high, and they're coming off. But in the middle of COVID, when stuff was skyrocketing, you couldn't get stuff on vessels. You know, the the shipping companies helped us out, and you know, it's not fair to now renegotiate when it's in our favor. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, I think you're still seeing a lot of that too, with maybe some higher price material coming in between the energy costs in Europe and and some of those logistics tenders kind of working their way off. So yeah, the logistics industry in terms of risk and, and managing has, has certainly been interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so you were mentioning um, energy prices in Europe. Let's talk about it. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, you know, I think that overall Europe is still seen as fundamentally disadvantaged with its energy prices. And then, you know, recently with different labor actions occurring, you know, in in France and stuff. So there's, um, that is still a market that in, in my own opinion only, that demand is not there to save the day. And there's a lot that needs saving, you know. So, <laughs> sure. if the market is kept balanced because of a supply outage, that's not the strongest fundamental. So yep. that's where I think that prices, if there's strength to them, it is. Um, it's some of them are cost driven to an extent, but that supply is is still. I think supply is still 
definitely in the, in the U.S. And, and in Europe, too, supply is really the driving factor of supply availability. I think Asia has been more sensitive to energy costs. But, you know, again, any region that is really dependent upon naphtha for its chemical complexes will be more sensitive to, to uh, the energy costs than other markets. You know, like here in the States with the ethane and propane prices, We've certainly had movement over the first quarter, but they're really not. A, I mean, the ethane price in particular is not a factor for driving anything per se in the U.S. In as much as if it spiked, sure, it would be a factor, but it's been steady. So sure. it really hasn't hasn't done much. But at the same time, that's a highly advantaged cost globally. So if uh, if you are running chemical complexes on Mont Bellevue ethane, well, then that's that puts you in a regional advantage as well right. so and and that's been something that maybe if during the um you know the lockdowns and and all sorts of things if you weren't able to get that you made sure that that like you say that's one of the areas where you look back on eh, maybe it's not the best price i could get but right at what cost right so so we've seen i know at least in the u.s you know like natural gas prices have come off significantly from the highs that we saw over the winter time um i think we've seen european natural gas prices coming off as well obviously i think it's still a exponential amount over what yeah. we're seeing here in the u.s but still high yeah they're still um a little bit below 50 dollars. the last i saw uh and yeah that's still um you know i don't want to use the word crazy in a pejorative sense but that's really you know, two dollars versus forty-seven dollars. You know, it's very clear where the advantage is here, yep. and that's what I mean. I think that fundamentally, we've we've talked about this for several years now. That I don't think that Europe is in a dire situation, but it's it's been a real challenging environment. That I think that fundamental challenges are really just sitting there the whole time. You know, with Europe, with different cost structures or you know, locational challenges, but you factor in the energy prices specific to Europe, especially amid geopolitical things, then it's really, it's really taken a lot of control away from market leaders in, in a sense. And that's got to be endlessly frustrating, but, you know, and, and also obviously Europe has a big effect on the rest of the world. Sure. So just looking at benzene or ethylene, you know, that, who's the high price in the world and who's going to pay the most and what does that affect what gets sent somewhere else and what doesn't. Yep. So that's, um, that's something we're still seeing playing out very much. Do the folks you talk to see European natural gas coming down to normal, I mean, I guess pre COVID or pre war levels, are they going to start trickling down? Are they going to go back up to the crazy levels we saw over last winter? What, what are folks saying kind of about the rest of the year? Do you have any? Well, I mean, I agree. I think, you know, you can find, a lot of opinions that say, you know, they're fundamentally over time, they do have to normalize. Yeah. However, I think that, um, I think that the extent of the risk of putting a lot of dependence upon a particular source or structure really was laid bare in the past few years. And we've seen massive changes in in lots of areas throughout the European industry for just not relying on that anymore and being open to natural gas from other regions and being open to energy and naphtha and ethane and ethylene and, and all sorts of products 
that um, what to avoid, um, be, you know, being in that situation. And that's where we've seen infrastructure uh, changes and investments that seem it appears to take place quickly, but I do believe that nobody in Europe was necessarily caught by surprise, but it did for some turn into the worst case scenario. Sure. So at that point, you know, if you see certain companies going to management or investors saying, okay, this is the worst case scenario. And to avoid this, remember that plan that we had can you release the investment money? We will build this within one to two years and then we won't have that risk. Right. I think that we saw that multiple times and that's a market that won't go back to that level of risk. So that's a, that's certainly an evolution yeah. in, in that whole situation there. That makes sense. Um, thinking about oil as well, I know we've seen oil prices kind of start to tail off in the back half of the first quarter. And then I know we've seen recently the news out of Saudi Arabia, that's now pushing prices maybe back up a little bit. I mean, at lower levels, I think we're around the $80 level today, which is mm -hmm. obviously down from over $100 uh, in the back half of last year. So things still trickling down, and, and I'm sure that's playing a role in some of the derivatives you follow. Sure. And I mean, you know, to, to what we were talking about earlier, when you can't rely on demand, you force your hand with supply, and that's right. that's what we're seeing. Um you know, it's it's uh, it's usually not a long-lived trend. Yep. So I do think that you know it gives short-term opportunities because you know with anything, and we see this in the chemicals too. Something I particularly love about the evolution of some of the chemical markets in the U.S. is the evolution of the futures markets. Sure. So it's not just saying, well, you know, what are crude futures or natural gas futures doing? What are ethylene futures doing? What are propylene futures doing? I think that's really cool. One of the more satisfying things I've seen develop over the past 15 years or so in those markets. And that's where um, you, you can see those specific trends. And if they are being affected by energy or if they're, divorce from energy, and how far out does that condition exist? Something that, you know, the natural gas liquids markets also have pretty robust futures markets. So we can see, for example, in the States, we do have backwardation in ethylene, propylene, and benzene. Um, and we do in ethane, but not necessarily propane. So, you know, it's it's interesting because it's not a forecast, but it's letting you know that when you're backward, your highest price is this month, the next month, and there we go. So what's the play to make right. when you're trying, you know, everybody's situation is different in every day in the market. What's your situation? You have a need in July. Well, you have a July market that you can really look at and, and see how that works. And maybe your July market involves propane and propylene and polypropylene. You have three different situations going on in three different markets, not just crude plus plus. Sure. So I think that's a real interesting, uh, just an interesting thing that it gives more options to people. Yeah, for absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. Um, and looking ahead to some of those derivatives, I know you mentioned benzene a little bit, you know, we used to kind of track benzene on our podcast and, you know, you kind of see oil move up and benzene move up and down kind of equally. And I think you kind of mentioned there two are sort of going in in semi different directions these days. Um, you know, I've seen we've seen benzene track up from the three dollar and ten cent range earlier in the quarter to I think it's 
360 these days, at least on a contract basis. So certainly moving upwards. Um, well, what's it, your, it what's had been even higher, right? Yeah. Oh, and yeah. now it, it kind of receded a little bit. Yep. And um, yeah, and again, that's that's interesting. And it speaks to that benzene's got its own personality, that it's not a function of crude or gasoline, although... It's the first, first person to ever give benzene a, a personality. That's given like given personas to each of these. I got a whole thing on <laughs> ethylene and propylene, yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that benzene itself, you know, it's had its, um, it's certainly had its moments over the past year with, uh, with styrene operating demand, uh, that it's, it's so sensitive to the styrene operating rates but also that the the entire aromatics con, uh, complex is affected by ethylbenzene demand and gasoline and toluene and xylene demand and gasoline. So, you know, that's why it's always very important to see where refinery operating rates are. We are, you know, driving season is here. Yep. So what does that mean? Well, it's already been prepared for. So now we're we're just watching the economics of it. And so all the, the plays are short-term plays because the long-term plays were made, you know, back in, in January for this time. So we're here. So I think that um that overall the the benzene market itself, again, it you know, it's always chasing who's the low cost and who's gonna pay for it. And then that it from my understanding is that's resulted in um material coming from Asia to the US to be the volumes have gotten lower and lower. So there's not as much coming. There is some coming but not as much as maybe is needed. Sure. So there could be a price floor there. Maybe it did get overheated, and that's where you see the you know what's really it's not necessarily a price slide. Maybe it's more of a correction. I think that that's where the spot market is extremely useful because if people say, well, you know, benzene dropped. Look at that. You know, March to April. Well, the spot market has really been sitting in a little circle now right around that contract price. So maybe that this is the right price for right now. Yep. I think that um I think that we had a lot more confusion in propylene because in March we had a very unusual spike that I don't think a lot of people saw coming in terms of the extent of the spike that um you know at the end of February in the US the polymer grade propylene was mid 50s and that was coming up a little bit by, you know, at the end of last year, it was in the 30s and it wasn't so terrific for producers and really the, the chain in a lot of senses. And then we're in the mid 50s and then March 1st bid 65, what, you know, and then March 2nd bid 70. And then you're getting, you're getting material that's trading higher for prompt delivery. And it's telling a story, but it's, um, the effect for, you know, it's telling a story that might involve very few people, but the, the price itself has such a large effect that when the month is said and done, well, the contract price ended up, you know, jumping up eight cents and it's sitting there and we've seen the spot price. We look at how sustainable is this price? Because I think that of the polymers, polypropylene demand is one of the more challenging areas compared to other polymers. Not that it's necessarily bad, but that it's, um, that when you're looking at how sustainable is this monomer price on that monthly contract basis, because we'll go through it all again in a few weeks of what did April do? Yep. What April's done is really now we're down in the forties. Yep. So it's, um, there, there is some, maybe you can call it a sense of correction, but I think the propylene is still, still kind of seeking its own level here. So you mentioned the, 
just a few players kind of driving those big increases earlier in the quarter. What, what do you attribute that increase to? I mean, was there like a, a severe unexpected uptick in demand and all of a sudden more material is needed for downstream applications? Or what, what do you attribute that spike to? Is it, can you tie it to something specific? Sure. Or? Yeah. And I don't mean to speak with authority. Like I know it was only <laughs> how many people. I, I don't know. But you can see in the trading volumes, there wasn't a whole lot of volume sure. going at those prices and then it seemed as though as we there was a greater sense of supply security that those prices began to drift down. So that's where I feel like the story that was being told, again, for me, because I felt it in my heart, you know, that's how I get with propylene. Yep. March 1st, my heart was like, what is happening? And right. March 2nd and 3rd, and uh, you know, will this end? It just felt like a panic. And perhaps there was a subset of, of people that were in a panic that's what always drives a price spike yeah. is that sense of panic. And um, and that's where, again, any reports of demand were simply not matching up. So maybe the demand was very specific to demand this week is crazy sure. because we don't have the product. Yep. So it's all relative. But, you know, that's there was a rare market for propylene in that sense. You know, I think back to, again, we we're talking about, you know, having years on the planet and using AI rather than relying on AI that I, I mean, hopefully you might remember 2008. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. That, um, yeah, that propylene had, you know, crude oil was almost $150 and, and um, that propylene was above 80 cents. And how sustainable was it? Because like with any product, this is not just a, a propylene story, but when that, when the price drops so quickly, it's really very disruptive to inventory, you know, and, and being yeah. able to pass it along through the chain. So yep. it's really, I felt as though, again, in my observation, because I don't actually participate in the propylene market, but my observation was that March was something people got through. Yeah. And here we are. And an interesting thing, though, that I noticed about the March propylene in the States because of the futures market is... March is up at 70. Well, in, um, you know, February we had 56 and, you know, April was 50. March goes up to 70. April's still 50. Mm -hmm. So this, again, it, it helps inform you of, you know, more nuance about the situation. So at this point, we saw this in benzene too, that you saw this backwardation really widen as the price was, was jumping up in the near term. But that next month was not really going anywhere. So at this point, when the prices for propylene and also for benzene were coming down, that April price was really the same. Right. And as we get into April and for propylene, you know, we're in the low 40s, that we've got the outer months in the high 30s. Yep. Yeah. So we still have the price strength in the front for a lot of these products, but that there's a there's not such there's not such a big distance to the outer months. Sure. Yeah, I know our, our product manager sent out what propylene had settled that, you know, it was kind of two things, was propylene settled here, and then we're hearing spot numbers, you know, 10 cents under, whatever, and mm -hmm. people replied, was like, so there was a contract increase, but the net result is a decrease. He's like, yeah, sort of, you know, in, in a way. Yeah, and that always speaks to how you structure your contracts, exactly. you know, that how many how many times I've heard people saying all of my volume is tied up in one price. I'm like, wow. You know, I think about my own groceries. I'd never do that, yeah, you know. Right, right. But at the same time, when you leave yourself 
let's say eggs were my thing and I'm just going to rely on it is what it is. I'm a price taker on eggs, sure. apparently. Yep. So if I didn't have any security of supply, a friend of mine has chickens now, you know, so there's there's a whole different situation there. Sure. Um, but yeah, that's what I think it comes to another effect of these past three and a half years is when your contracts are coming up for renewal, you're like, you know, this really didn't work out for me in a stress test. Right. And maybe in 15 years, I never had it stressed to this level, but I never want it stressed again. Yeah. So what yeah. can we do? Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. So I think that there's, um, you know, a lot, there had been a lot of pain, but there's maybe, um, uh, what is it? Smarter, but wiser yeah. market. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, so I've also got ethylene and styrene on my list. I'll let you pick what you would like to uh, review first. I bet you I know which one you're going to pick. Look at my friend ethylene. Yeah. <laughs> the ethylene I call she. Okay. Mysteriously, but yes, she's in my heart. Uh, yeah, lady ethylene, I think, I mean, really ethylene for in the face of volatility globally and with other commodities, ethylene's been pretty steady. I know that early in the pandemic, ethylene dropped to eight cents. We know, but ethylene has been in that, you know, in that 20, low 20s. If ethylene goes up to the mid 20s, that's a big deal. And it is a big deal. Certainly an eighth of a cent is a very big deal in ethylene, but that there's not the volatility. I think that's been really what the ethylene market, in my observational opinion, has evolved into is one where volatility can be limited because there are there, there is more participation in the ethylene market than the propylene market just by nature. There's more ethylene produced. There's more people involved in the market, more companies rather. So, um, so ethylene, you can certainly have a panic, but it will be a lot um, less short-lived than, um, or it'll be more short-lived, sorry, than, right. than in, um, in other products. So it's not nearly as maybe precious as some of the more volatile chemicals in terms of price. And I think that ethylene also, you know, it's been to look at any chart, you've got two lines up here and one line down there, and that's US ethylene. And that's the other regions up there. So uh, there, that gives ethylene a lot of options. And I think that, um, you know, ethylene exports, that that was to me a major game changer in 2019. And, you know, the timing of that, a lot of, you know, a lot of people look back on back to the end of 2019 and lockdowns. I'm like, you know what else happened at the end of 2019 is really the, the birth of a, a robust export terminal and market out to the rest of the world. So ethylene is still flowing out of the U.S. in April. So is ethane and May fixtures or we're already seeing reports of all the May fixtures. So that's where, you know, I think that um, there, are, there are more options than ever, and ethylene is able to present more options. I think when it comes to styrene, there are fewer options. It is mostly a benzene story, sure. but at, at the same time, um, styrene and ethylbenzene, they really do, they have been able to rely on a fairly constant ethylene price from this country. Which is good, you know, because in the sense that when you're trying to do global business in those combination products, your volatility or your risk is resting primarily with the benzene, and it's because you you can 
rely more on uh, ethylene not going crazy by the time your product gets on the water or something. Right. Yeah. And so the, the ethylene exports is a, I guess, two-part question. It's a relatively new thing that we're exporting ethylene, and it's a good thing for the U.S., do you think? I think options are a good thing sure. in general, sure. you know, for me and you, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and the ethylene market and all of its derivatives. Because prior to you being able to export the ethylene, it was all in the derivatives. And, you know, it's largely plastics and, you know, glycols and other solvents and intermediates. But the um, the inability, exporting ethylene is not easy and it's expensive and it involves, you know, a lot of different logistics because you're you're taking a gas. It is a lot easier to do bulk liquids and the solids in the plastics. But um, I also think that that, it kind of removes, it removes a layer of optionality for the whole world in that now we're relying on specifically resin market dynamics or glycol market dynamics. And to be able to have the choice of saying, we'll take polyethylene or we'll take ethylene is, uh, it, that's really, I think in a lot of senses, I think that it's stabilized world markets in giving it those options. Sure. But certainly in the US, it's been um it's been a I think a big a big uh improvement to the market. And I don't use improvement lightly because, you know, with prices, if it improves for one person, it's not an improvement right. for the other one. Yep. Yep. But in terms of options, improving that option was huge. And as somebody who's watched ethylene for twenty or more years, it was, you know, you just, you saw shipping reports, you know, Altamira to here, you know, you're like, the U.S. was never on a shipping report. Yeah. So to be able to, you know, to see that and to be able to, over time, you know, of course, you know, we saw a real bonanza when it started up, but to be able to see over time, there are some months where there are very few shipments sure. and, you know, that it's just, it's more data, it's more options. And I always think those are good things. Yeah. Yeah. Them sounds like good things. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Um, well, so that kind of, I think, wraps up the overview we have. I don't know uh, how much of a, a crystal ball you have for Q2 and your expectations. You know, I know at AFPM, there's a lot of a lot of optimism. I think people are looking maybe more towards the back half of the year versus a severe uptick in demand and things like that. You know, April, May, June type of time frame. Mm-hmm. Um, but what are you, uh, how are your conversations internally? What is What are folks saying about pricing, about demand, about, you know, some of these energy factors for... Uh, April, May, June, as we come into the nice warm months? Sure. I think um, that short-term short term demand right now, uh, I feel like we can already see it. You know, we're, we're already pricing out May and, sure. and June in a lot of markets. What, what I see is always twofold. There's what Patrick M. Wire and the, uh, the price reporting function of Opus is looking at in assessing the forward market. So when I say that we've got uh, backwardation in some markets, it actually only goes through to maybe July. Then it turns contango. So that means that at some point, people in the market, not Kathy, people (laughs) in the market are out there saying, I've got a lot more faith in September than I do in May. That's interesting. So that curve for, uh, you know, for ethylene and propylene is a little bit backward and then a little bit contango. So for whatever that's worth, but at the same time that usually I always say that, you know, the forward market is a great 
place to to manage your risk, but going into it with knowledge of the expert forecasts is also a, a big component of that. So um, my colleagues over at Chemical Market Analytics, they're also in a similar vein saying, you know, there is some some room for a little softening, you know, the degree of which they get into more as the, as the time is approaching. And they do have some real solid ideas on on that as well of how much softening are we seeing, especially in the long term, in the short term months, but then longer term that I think that, again, there is more um, more bullish sentiment around the second half of the year, particularly third quarter. But, you know, like I say, I'm I'm always deferring to them saying, you know, they've got full forecasts. You can definitely check those out. They're quite good. But I do think that um, that looking again, it's with data, it's more options. So when you see that a, that a forward curve is is backward, how steeply backward? Because again, my colleagues at CMA, when when we have the 70 cent propylene, April's trading at 50, their, their forecast was also like, you know, the higher the price goes, the bigger the correction will be. It's not saying when it drops, the whole, th- the whole year is over. No, let's take this situation at a time. Right. So a lot of times those things work in lockstep. I do think unless something happened in my memory since the last time we talked, third quarter is usually a pretty decent demand time for manufacturing. It um It is when the end of the year orders for finished goods, a lot of them are set. Sure. And that's, a, that's usually a, a pretty good time to be alive throughout yeah. a lot of the chains. And then... As your third quarter wraps up, you just start preparing for fourth quarter. That might involve, you know, the prayer beads to a, an extent. Let yeah. this be a mild end of the year. Sure. But, you know, the um, it's more about the the preparing. And then the I think the most stressful time of the markets that we've seen in the past few years is trying to make a call on what the post-Lunar New Year demand will be. You know, you can have your thoughts, but then seeing if it materializes. And it did materialize this year, maybe not to the extent that some had hoped, but I also think that there's so much caution in the market that there weren't a lot of big bets being placed. So that's where I feel like maybe there's a little bit of calmness blended with resignation, and that's a lot of what we've seen at conferences of it's not bad, it's been worse. I hope it's going to get better. Right. I'm mostly hoping for stability. Yeah, we had a we had a meeting at the office last week or two weeks ago with our our 401k provider, and they come in and do a good job of the markets and what's happening, and talks more about just our plan. But you know what's happening with the stock market and the types of companies in the markets and whatnot. And it was interesting that stuff's kind of quietly improved year to date in this year. And it talks about obviously if you work for a tech company, maybe not the best time to be alive, but mm-hmm. a lot of other companies, especially as we move kind of into defense and materials and things like these are, are quietly up four five, seven, eight, ten percent 10% in, in some markets. So it's yeah. kind of quietly improved. I think we've probably seen that a bit, you know, there's people aren't jumping for joy with 40% more orders, but stuff's quietly doing okay. It seems so. Well, well and I don't know, do you also feel that there is a sense that if things are starting to go well, using the stock market analogy, if things are starting to go well for you or a particular fund in one sector, are you putting out press releases like, you know, this? Because you don't want everybody else, yep. you know, uh, 
kind of going on on your coattails to an extent. So in your distribution business, if you're like, oh, we're seeing something really nice happening in this little segment. Yeah. Are, are you out there telling the world or having, you know, having um, that it wouldn't really be a company like yours, but you think about majors and their shareholders sure. saying yeah. the best market out there is now, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Because that really drives everybody else into what is a little bit your area. Maybe yeah. you have a, a little advantage. You just yeah. want to hold on a little bit longer, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I think that that sort of, um, you know, kind of quiet pride has been going on as well from what I've seen because it is only April and it's like, you think, you know, you hope, you know, yeah. you're pretty sure, but you're, you know, you've, um, you've hurt yourself before with your own words, yeah. you know? Yes. No, hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we appreciate having you back at the offices here in person. Um, it sounds like we'll plan on having you here for the Q3 episode as well. Sometime, you know, peak June, peak, uh, I'm going to come back July, with some friends. Please do. We're going to have a party. We should. Yes. We should. Yeah. So this is terrific. I, I always it. really enjoy our time together and, you know, and thanks for the opportunity to address your world. <laughs> so uh, thanks. Absolutely. Thank you for the insights as always. It's, it's incredibly valuable information and uh, a great supplement to our monthly episode and the other guests we have. So Remember, we these are just my own it. observations. Of course. Remember that. Of course. <laughs> but no, I do appreciate that, that you like them and I certainly appreciate yours. Very much, yeah. Well, we appreciate it. Well, as always, thank you for listening, whether you're on the uh, audio version or the video version here with uh, The View from Jamestown. So we appreciate it. We'll see you on our next TCC podcast, and we will see Kathy again sometime in July. Yes. Thanks, Kathy. Thank you. Bye.